Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. I want to thank all the listeners and guests that makes this show possible. Please subscribe to us and rate whenever you can. Tell your family, friends, and colleagues about us. Please go back and watch our episode one with Martine Harapetian Wilson, Constance Avery, Ben Sedigatfar, Margaret Kimberly, Jay Carrico, and now Spike Cohen. Enjoy the show. How um, I did want to talk some um, about healthcare because we sure. may have some disagreements about that, but um, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about the idea of coalition building within the electoral process uh, when it comes to voting, because you know how a lot of voters are, the casual is, it, it seems to only matter once the election gets closer and closer, locally and statewide and nationally. But I was thinking more so on why don't people protest vote more in the sense that um, the D and the R, you don't want to vote for either one, but why not support the L or the G or whatever other letter there is? Why why do those people feel so coerced to go back and fall back in their safe place and vote D or R at the end of the day when they could just easily vote for another letter? Did they just... Do you sort of have that issue with people you talk to? They want oh, to, to vote libertarian. They want to vote green or whatever it is, but they just can't put themselves to doing it. Yeah, it, it happens a lot. Um, during the campaign, I would hear it all. People would come out to my events, cheer every single thing I said. They would, you know, I do Q&A at all my events. They'd ask questions. They loved every answer I gave. And they'd say, but wow. you know what? We've got to stop Donald Trump. Or we've oh got to God. stop, or, or 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 Joe Biden will destroy this country, and it's and 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 they are, in many cases, some of them were even registered libertarians. But here's what happens, man, and I see it over and over again. A lot of people still haven't figured out that, and and sounds like you call them the Dem Republicans. I call them the Republicrats. <laughs> uh, it, it, is, it is it is the same thing. It is it is a system that is designed to look like it is opposed to itself in order to create a theater of opposition. You don't have to. It's not really difficult to see that when it's time to raise that debt limit so they can run up more debt in Mm. our name to pay off all the cronies that put them in office. They do it in record time. They don't even debate on it. When it's time to <laughs> give away another several hundred billion or now trillions of dollars to corporate crony interest, multi-billion dollar multinational corporations who we know. I mean, we have the open records. They own these politicians. They bankroll oh, their campaigns. Open when it's secrets. time to do that, when it's time for them to do that, they do that. They don't even spend any time even talking about it. They just get it done in behind closed doors, vote on it quickly, and it's done. All of this other stuff, is theater of opposition. 
Mm-hmm. And it's designed to have us think that they're fighting each other. It's also designed to keep us fighting each other and to encourage you to, you know, now your neighbor across the street who disagrees with you on healthcare is now your mortal opponent right. because <laughs> you have been conditioned. Uh, and I'm not saying you, but these folks have been conditioned mm-hmm. that they have to stop them. So very often when people are voting against Trump or against Biden or against Republicans, or against, they're actually voting against this schmuck that lives down the road that they know has the wrong thoughts. And, and it just <laughs> it bleeds into how our, our entire discourse in this country. And it's intentional. It is divide. And, it is mm-hmm. pure divide and conquer. Um, 100%. What it really comes down to is they still think that this person's lies are better than this person's lies. And that comes from the good cop, bad cop routine. That Does it ever feel like, I know you're more on the left, does it ever feel like a Republican will say something and it's like they're trying to piss you off? Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. We, okay. we actually talked about this with Margaret Kimberly yesterday. She, oh, okay, she, good. He explained the good cop, bad cop. She used yeah. that analogy, the exact same yeah. thing. Yeah. They are trying to piss you off. <laughs> and here's why. And there are plenty of times. I mean, I get pissed off by both of them. But, you know, yeah, I, I I, there too. are times, you know, it, it, I'll watch Joe Biden say something or I'll watch Kamala Harris or, or AOC or someone say, and I'm like, they want me to be angry at this. And here's why. <laughs> here's why. Here's what happens, Kiko. No one's had, like, even Trump's biggest supporters know that he has failed them a bunch of times. Of course. That he was, yeah. it was his CDC that did the lockdowns. Like, the mm-hmm. thing you're the most upset about, he did it. Yeah. Joe Biden sure. support. No one likes Joe Biden. Like, Trump's I've VAX. Everyone complained about oh, God. the VAX. They and were mad about I'm saying myself, wasn't he the one? Didn't he get it and everything? And then you guys are told it's them crazy. To get it. And told they just weaponized that like crazy. Weaponized that like crazy. Joe <laughs> Biden is like, I mean, the 94 crime. Joe Biden once said that he wasn't in favor of desegregation because he didn't want his children to grow up in a racial jungle. A racial jungle. Now, yeah. Now, now, yes, that was the 70s or 80s or whenever he said it. But every policy he has reeks of I don't want my children in a racial jungle. Here he is. He's locking up every black man he can find that's ever possessed any substance he doesn't like. Mm-hmm. And yet his son is literally weighing crack on the Internet and, and gets no trouble at all. Like This is <laughs> this is pure racial jungle uh, in, in, in play here. And keep um, in mind, Spike, before you continue, me and you, we're not black either. Neither one of us are. You know, no, you're because we didn't I, vote for him. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot all about that. I forgot all about that. I am so sorry that you had to lose your blackness in such an unfortunate way. Goodness. I mean, you think all the ways you could lose your 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 blackness in you know, an election. Wow. Um, perfect example. He got away with saying that. Cannot believe that. Yeah. On the Breakfast Club. Mm hmm. Like, <laughs> but so, but here's why he gets away with doing that. And here's why Trump gets away with what he's doing, because then they get to lean in and go, but if you don't for, get, vote for me, you're going to get that guy. You're going to get that guy way more than me. Mm-hmm. It's good cop, bad cop. And that's really what it comes down to. And that's, I realized uh, over the last two years, I used to get frustrated and I would talk to folks and they'd say, well, I'd vote for you, but you can't win. And I'd say, I'd win if you voted for me. Like I'd have these same <laughs> conversations over and over again. And then I realized something. I come from a sales and marketing background. Like that's, you know, my company was all about me selling my products and services and and all that. You don't argue with the customer. You figure out why they don't like your product or what's keeping them from what where is where the 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 yes is being blocked. And then you figure that out. Where the yes is being blocked is that people, most people don't see voting in this case libertarian, but you could apply this to any third party or independent. 
they don't see the risk as being worth the potential reward. Mm, I hear that so from liberals to, all the time. <laughs> you have to look at what's causing that. And you have to not just know it, but address it. A big part of what I'm doing with You Are the Power is I am tying, and again, when I say libertarian, I, I don't mean necessarily the party. I mean just libertarian, a, a candidate or an idea that is liber small L libertarian, a, a philosophically libertarian. I want them to see libertarianism not just as the solution, but I want them to tie it to winning. Mm -hmm. So when we have 70% success rate, we're able to you know, help all these people. We don't even have elected officials in that city or that county, but we're still able to effectively lobby or, or you know, I like to call it cyberbullying, even though we're not bullying them. But you know, we, we basically swarm on them and get them to do the right thing. I want people to associate liberty and freedom with winning and not just us winning, but them winning. Mm -hmm. And what happens there is now instead of the good cop, bad cop, well, if I don't vote Republican, I'm going to get Democrat, or if I don't vote Democrat, I'm going to get Republican. Instead, it becomes, I don't care if I get Republican or Democrat. This is all I want. And I think they got a shot. That's mm -hmm. when you can change things. Libertarians have won hundreds of elections across the country. They're mostly at the local level. When mm -hmm. those races have been won, it's been because the people in that city looked at that candidate and said, you know what? I'll give him a shot or I'll give her a shot. And then what happens is when a libertarian gets elected, they almost always get reelected for two reasons. Number one, people like what they do. And number two, no one wants to lose to a libertarian. Mm. No, no one, no self-respecting Democrat or Republican trying to work their way up the political ladder wants mm. to lose a city council race to a libertarian. Like, yeah. no, that, like, that's like death knell for your career that you lost to a third party candidate. And uh, so once we get our candidates in there, they almost always are in there for as long as they want to be, because a people like what they're doing, and b no one wants to run against them and lose. So that's really what I'm trying to do with you are the power is grow a culture of liberty. Mm -hmm. That is so pervasive, that it doesn't matter who gets elected. Like okay. right now, it doesn't matter who gets elected because the statists and the authoritarians are in control. The the so-called, I don't even like calling it the progressive movement because it's not really progressive, but it's what they, they call it the progressive movement. But it's really, we know what it is. It's the authoritarian, corporatist, cronyist, neoliberal movement. That's it's all it is. So much, yeah. It's in the, the neocon neoliberal movement. And it's so pervasive at a cultural level. That it doesn't matter if a Republican wins, Democrat wins, independent wins, they're still going to get their way because culturally people are scared. Mm -hmm. They think government's going to bail them out and they think that too much freedom is dangerous. If okay. we're able to change that so that people realize just the opposite, that it's actually dangerous for government to have this kind of power and that freedom is the solution, now it won't matter who wins because they're just going to demand freedom. That's mm -hmm. what my focus is. Let's grow this movement so much, it doesn't even matter what party wins, man. Like, I'd love for it to be the Libertarian Party. I'd love for the Green Party to get more votes too, frankly. I tell people all the time, if you don't agree with me, vote Green then. Like that's See, that's I was going to like, get at that. Why don't people do that more? It's just like... um. But see, I've seen some issues locally. You say there's 50 state um, assets for a libertarian party. Um, is that just nationally or are there issues on the local level? Because I've seen some things where in New York, I think some of the libertarians would get got kicked off of the ballot and the Greens and yeah, yeah. Howie yeah, Hawkins, I think, uh, even I got kicked off of the ballot. This the, and so is that good? Is yeah. that going to be a problem though? If, if libertarians get too elevated in 2020. In 2020, 
they or 2020 or 2021 basically after larry sharp got on the ballot uh in 2018 and him and howie hawkins got way higher i mean it was still single digits but they got way more than anyone expected them to get then what happened was the the new york democratic party with the help but the or at least with the uh, agreement of the republicans but the republicans in that state they don't need their agreement their democrats are in charge but the new york <laughs> democrat party the new york democrat party did what the ohio republican party did and just started kicking off everyone off the ballot they ratcheted up the rules so that it was basically it, they essentially made it illegal not to be a democrat or a republican running for mm. office or, or so legally prohibitive that it wasn't actually possible and so they're actually suing they're suing to get on the ballot uh the there as last i heard the court is still weighing it several days later the longer it takes them to decide the better the odds are in our favor usually within an hour they come out and go yeah you're okay we, we weren't really listening we're just going to do what the democrats say mm -hmm. but uh it, it so it's i'm hoping for the best but yeah the 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 way that the republicrats respond to us actually getting some traction is just kicking us off the ballot which is yet another reason that my focus is on growing a culture of liberty because it may be it may very well be man that as you know libertarians greens third parties as they grow that the republicrats just keep ratcheting up the pressure so that they can't even get on the ballot that may very mm. well be the case and there's not a tremendous hell of a lot we can do about it because they control every lever of power which is why my focus is cultural if you create a culture that cannot be ignored then a they're gonna have to run on our platform if they want to win and mm -hmm. b will eventually replace them and undo all that nonsense they've done on the ballot um, mm -hmm. But it, it, we really we focus a lot on politics and I forget who originally said it, but all politics it, or culture is downstream of politics mm -hmm. uh, or no politics is downstream of culture. You have to affect the culture and then the culture will play out politically as a political block. That, mm -hmm. That's how it works. And so, yes, we're doing political action uh, and we're also doing like charity stuff. We're doing all sorts of things, but it's all built around the ideas that. Look at the good that happens when we work together voluntarily and look at the bad that happens when people get to just force their opinions on us and we keep mm. laying that out. And, and as we do that, we get victories. So they see libertarianism as making the most sense. They see it based on a concept of human respect. They see that it actually works and they see that we can win. And that's what's needed to grow a, a, a culture that attracts people, that makes people want to be a part of it. Our And the other big part of a culture of liberty is that it you do not have to give up. So like, for example, uh, there's this idea of like, we need to just have American culture. But American culture increasingly feels like this like homogenization. Like you mm -hmm. have to give up aspects of your identity in exactly. order to be a yeah. real American. Oh, right? yeah. Like <laughs> you, you have to vote for Joe Biden if you want to stay black. I, you know, I'd make the rules. It is what it is. But but the uh, uh, I had forgotten he said that. What a mess. Oh, uh, guys, he's terrible. The, uh, I really I really don't know why my friends don't see it. And it's really an insult because I can't even talk to them about it. It's just I'm like, I know you guys did. I'm not going to hold you guys like accountable for that i know you yeah, both yeah, 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 you want yeah. to do but it's just like yeah. don't come at me like with this like aggression when i'm like no i'm justified and i'm not supporting that no, message if you want to do it don't put it on me don't put that on me exactly <laughs> but you know the the uh i forgot what to say oh the the so culturally the culture i am building of liberty it is a culture that transcends identity it transcends nationality it transcends 
every aspect of, of who you in, intrinsically are as a person. It is based on the idea that you as an individual, you own, for lack of a better word, own yourself. You have total autonomy over yourself. And that you you that is a society that respects your autonomy as a human being, that respects your individualism, that respects your ability as an individual to make decisions for yourself. That is a society that creates the kind of space that we need for us to be able to work together voluntarily. A lot of times people see individualism as this idea that each one of us is an island and we're all out, you know, we're all in it on our on our own. And, you know, we're all we're, you know, none, none of us are, are in this together. That's that's not individualism. Individualism is the respect for your intrinsic autonomy as an individual with the understanding that we are a social species and that only through recognition of each person's individual autonomy can we truly voluntarily work together and create solutions to the problems that we face. That That's really the core of libertarianism is, is an idea of mutual human respect and the, the, the owing and tolerance and non-aggression towards one another, whether we agree, disagree, or anything else, with the idea that that then allows the space for us to work together when it's time to, when we, when we can work together. Before we conclude, I wanted to get a couple of questions in about sure, um, sure. sort of where we diverge some. Sure. And so being a libertarian, do you see any sort of function for government? As far like what should the government do, I guess, um, what is the function of government, I guess, would be the question as far sure. as providing services and whatnot. Like, is there any value to that or is it just um, pretty much, you know, organized individually? Yeah, so there are two main schools of libertarian thought on what the, the proper role of government is. Um, the, I guess, minarchist or classical liberal one, I'll give that first. Uh, the idea is that that a government, uh, it's the only way that it can truly, first of all, we have to go back to the idea of we can't confer a right or a power to someone else that we don't ourselves have, right? Like I can't okay. rob you. I'm not allowed to rob you because that's wrong and it's it's not right to hurt people or to take from them. Well, that means I can't then confer that right to someone else, because if it could, then if you take that to its logical conclusion, I can just hire someone to murder someone. And that's fine because I didn't do it. I just conferred that to someone else. So consistently, in order to stay consistent with our belief on how human beings should interact with each other, that means that the only proper function of a government is to operate within the uh, consent of the governed and to operate only in the protection and enforcement of our lives, our rights, and our labor, and the product of our labor, which is our property. That's that's really the, the purpose of government, is defending life, liberty, property, and, and your rights, basically. Um, and when I say property, I mean like what you have, the things that you have earned and that you own. Gotcha. Um, so that that's the idea behind that. And we can get into the idea of the, the problem with having them provide services is that you have an organization that is basically a, a in agreed upon or not even agreed upon monopoly of violence, who is funded mm. by theft and is enforced through violence and threats of violence, who is now operating as like a charity too, kind of. Mm. And all of the built-in motives for an organization like that are actually towards hurting people, not helping them. And so mm -hmm. the, the classical liberal argument is that if you're going to have this tool that can hurt people, it should only be used to basically stop people from harming others, that it should really just be a, a defense tool uh, for the, the, the lives and rights and, and property of all of us. 
I, as an anarcho-capitalist, believe that the proper role of government is to be put in like a toilet or a, or, or a, a shredder or something that you can then crush it and make it go away. Um, I, I believe, I be, and I shouldn't say government, I should say the state. Right, because I know what you're saying. I get, I get what you can actually have, you can have a voluntary form of governance where that doesn't have taxation that allows you to opt out that you know uh, allows for there to be competing providers for the services we need and things like that. So that would still be a, a government. It just wouldn't be a state. Um, here's here's an example of how I would give for that, and and, and we can go straight into healthcare because that's that's one of the big ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you we may uh, you, you know call me crazy, uh, but I think that our current system is set up to maximize the profits for a handful of multi-billion-dollar corporations. I agree. Intentionally so. It is mm-hmm. intentionally designed to make healthcare as expensive as possible and to drown out smaller competitors to protect the large crony corporations who help to bankroll the campaigns of the politicians. So, okay, good. So we're on the same page so far. We are. No, we, we definitely to- And And- this is a system, you know, we talk about the death panels or whatever. This is a system where a lot of people end up dying because they can't get access mm. to care or they can't get access to care quickly enough. Uh, I, I remember when I was diagnosed with MS and it took me the better part of a year to get on the the treatment that I have right now. And thankfully I was able to get on it. I've been in remission for five years now, but that was a scary year, man. Mm-hmm. And there are others who are less fortunate than me uh, who are in a much worse place because of that. The In the United States, our government spends more money on uh, of taxpayer money on healthcare per patient than almost any other country on earth. So for the people who say, oh, we have a free market, no, we don't. No, we don't. We have a government-managed system. The difference is our government-managed system is literally set up to be as expensive as humanly possible. Mm. Now, here's why that is. Our uh healthcare system is built on the insurance system mm-hmm. and the insurance system is something insurance is a useful tool to prevent catastrophic or unforeseen things and to insure against them we don't actually have that we have comprehensive insurance which is basically a pooled bill paying mechanism it is the worst way to determine how to pay for something because now the doctors don't have to worry about what you can afford. Mm-hmm. They have to worry about the provider. They're figuring out what the multi-billion dollar organization that mm-hmm. gets everyone's premiums can afford, which means they can charge more. Then they can get the politicians to pass stuff like certificate of need laws, cost plus legislation, redlining for the for you know uh, uh, moratoriums on building any new facilities, uh, bans on being able to... Uh, uh, import drugs, uh, import generic drugs into the US, uh, ridiculous patent protections for drugs like insulin, things that have mm-hmm. been around longer than any of, us, any of us have been alive. All of that comes from the insurance system, which the only reason we even have a comprehensive insurance system is because uh, in during World War II, uh, FDR threatened wage caps uh, to, to try to keep the cost of the war effort down because it, there were so few people that were the, the, it, the competition for finding people that could do the work was so high that businesses were offering anything they could to get you to come and work for them. And mm. FDR threatened wage caps. And the way they got around those threatened wage caps was, OK, fine, we'll only pay you this much, but we'll give you benefits. And one of those benefits was comprehensive insurance. And that mm. was the beginning 
up until then, up until World War II, the cost of healthcare rose and fall with the general cost of living. Once they mm -hmm. introduced insurance, you started seeing, again, a decoupling. This All of a sudden, the cost of healthcare just kept kind of steadily going up. Mm -hmm. That led us into the 1960s, where an increasing number of poor people and elderly people simply could not afford the cost of insurance uh, or, or the cost of healthcare, which led to the creation of Medicare and Medicaid. And the problem with that is that now you have the government being one of the main uh, people that are both paying for it and negotiating pricing. The government pays $35,000 for a hammer. The government pays $190,000 for a refrigerator. They intentionally pay more to justify their bloated budget so that every year when they go back to Congress or to you know whoever decides their budget, they go, look, we need more money. We got to buy all these hammers. It's the last people that you want making a decision for what things should cost. And mm. Medicare and Medicaid overnight made them the biggest single purchaser. Mm. And what we have seen, so then when Medicare and Medicaid happened, now that decoupling was even more intense. And you've seen uh, you know, Medicare Part D, uh, the Affordable Care Act, each new thing that Republicans and Democrats have added have continued to make it more and more expensive at the direct benefit of the cronies who run the system mm -hmm. and at the direct cost of the rest of us. Now, for sure, the problem. So this means we can go one of two ways, because the argument becomes, well, who should be paying this big and growing bill? Should it be the taxpayer? Should it be us as individual patients? Should it be a pooled system, some hybrid system? We need to be talking about why the bill is so damn high to begin with and focus on that. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think you and I can can agree and, and you and, and me and a lot of people on the left and, and a lot of people in general can agree. We know of regulations that exist right now whose sole true purpose is to drive up its cost. Oh, yeah. Let's go, ahead, <laughs> let's go ahead right now and just focus on getting rid of that stuff. And then that way, whether we decide to go to a Medicare for all type system mm -hmm. or a national health care system or a completely wide open free market system or more than likely something in between, it's going to be a more affordable. Yeah. It's going to be sustainable. It's going to be something we can afford. So like that's an example of how even on something that you and I in the if we get down into the granular aspect of how it should be run, we might disagree right on the on what we should be focused on right now, which is just getting government out of intentionally making it expensive. Mm -hmm. We can okay. work together even on that certificate mm -hmm. of need laws. Uh, getting rid of certificate of need laws, cost plus legislation, uh, looking at the the massive amounts of red tape behind the insurance system, something like oh, no doubt about that. Cost, yeah, forty percent of the cost of healthcare is just insurance compliance cost. Yeah, if we focus on dismantling as much of that as possible, then from there, with far less of a crisis on our hands and with a far more sustainable system, now we can take a more you know, with, with our with having taken a nice deep breath and counting to 10, we can now take a deeper, more holistic look at what would a good healthcare system or a better healthcare system look like. But in the meantime, right now, people on the far left, people on on the libertarian right, people across the spectrum, uh, political spectrum, we could be working together right now on stuff that almost 100% of, of us agree on, on healthcare. Exactly. And see, we've only discussed it for a little bit over 10 minutes or so. But none of this dialogue was happening when CV19 started. So what happened on CV19? Everything was about the VAX. And I kept telling my liberal friends, to me, that was like a complete, like up to each person. And I still feel that way. 
that's what I'm saying. I have a lot of libertarian leanings, like mm -hmm. not even knowing, like going into this. And then I realized, like, damn, I have a lot of these leanings, not even realizing <laughs> so I can be left, quote unquote, but still have libertarian leanings. Absolutely. So, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and this is one of the things that a lot of my friends were, you know, they did their thing. I was like, nope, I'm not doing that. And I mean, I took a lot of shit from it. You know what I'm saying? It took a lot. Oh, yeah. And now two years later, it's almost like, oh, gosh, let, listen, not talk about that conversation. You know, I don't want to apologize or anything, but it's just yep, crazy yep, yep. how the mindset's completely changed because, oh, so those power brokers told you that everything's okay now. Um, this is going to be our new normal now. So only until they told them and gave them the green light that they could think for themselves, that they yep. decide what does this have to do with the broken system that we have? We have a broken healthcare system. Exactly. And so that avoided the issue of the broken healthcare system because we're arguing about Pfizer's top line or Glaxo Welcome Klein or any of these big pharmaceutical companies, yep, yep, yep. which is also tied to the anti-marijuana legislation. That yep. is, I don't know why people don't see these connections. And it's like, they're all designed like that. While we're here arguing about a product by the same people who you claim that you didn't like, but now you're advocating for their product and you're the salespeople. I remember when I used to think that the left might be a little too harsh on big pharma and that those days are <laughs> gone. Those days, buddy, I will watch, I will say, Hey, you know, is it not odd? And by the way, I'm not, I'm not against the, the, the jab or whatever else. Like, right, 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 I think right. it is a, I think it's a personal choice to make. Um, I think the moment that we realized that it was not going to any argument that could have been made for trying to get, you know, trying to, you know, for lack of a better word, force people to make it, uh, to, to take it. Once it, once we realized that it didn't stop community spread, that was really the end of it for me. Now it's mm -hmm. a personal choice. It, right. is, it, it appears to be, especially for elderly people and for people with comorbidities, it, ap it appears as far as I can tell to be a safe and effective way to, to make it less likely for them to have a much harsher outcome. Fantastic. What a great thing that we have in our repertoire. But yes, it, it was, it was obvious that this became about, now they're talking about giving it to kids, even though there are some ages where the likelihood of them having uh, uh, negative reactions to it, which is still rare, mm -hmm. but it's high higher than them actually getting hospitalized with the thing, mm -hmm. the actual thing that they're getting it. Yeah. So like, it's, it is, it is obvious to me that this is, you mentioned that, you know, it allowed them to sweep under the rug, the failures of the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. This is actually an example of the healthcare system. I think the one difference I would make with what you said is, and you probably agree with me on this. I don't call it a failure. This system is working as intended. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. No, especially yeah. when you talk about it the, fails to do what it yeah. says it's going to do, but it is <laughs> it is designed to maximize profits and the, the the actual patient be damned. In fact, if they do poorly, that actually again this goes back to why I don't like government trying to provide services. There is a mm. perverse incentive for their services to be bad because it makes us more dependent on them and it may, gives them an excuse to push for increasing their funding mm. or taking control from us. So it actually, in the, it, you know, as opposed to a, a mutual aid effort or a charitable effort where they have a vested interest in, in solving or, or at least ameliorating the problem so they can move on to the next thing. If your budget and your career and livelihood are determined on this problem getting worse, then yeah, there's a there's a perverse incentive to make the problem worse. And I, I think healthcare <laughs> yeah. is a perfect example of that. No, no, I th that's um no, I agree that um the the public health crisis aspect of it, I don't I never thought once that the powers to at B really cared about our health. I never yeah, yeah, yeah. in a million years thought that, but 
for some reason, I don't know, I guess it's just operating from a different mindset when you don't mm -hmm. follow the corporate news and you don't follow all the just the popular moment thing. I mean, everyone's got the Ukraine flags on their profiles <laughs> and say, what's going to be the next big thing? thing I guess when you're not caught up into that stuff, it's hard to um, you've already have your mind made up, but those people are just, you know, it's hard for them to change their mindset. Yep. Yep, absolutely. It is. And it's fear based. That's another thing. Our government and gov and the state in general wants us to live in a perpetual state of going from one crisis to the next. Mm. Right. I remember before 9-11 happened, they were literally trying to create a panic around shark attacks. And whoever killed Chandra Levy might be trying oh. to, there might be more people <laughs> out killing more. And it was like, this is what, and then 9-11 happened. It is a constant, there's always the thing or the many things. Now it's monkeypox. Monkeypox. <laughs> and uh, for, for a minute, it was going to be the murder hornets. That didn't seem to, to, to pan out. There's always, this, there's always this crisis. And the problem is the corporate media plays a part in this as well. Mm -hmm. Because the corporate media is double dipping here. Number one, fear drives ratings. Fear and anger drives ratings for mm -hmm. news. So they make money there. But also... Uh, the corporation just so happens to have the cure or the fix. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and, and uh, that'll be our ad. You know, after we talk about this, here's our, here's the ad for that thing that will fix it. And Absolutely so, crazy. And and this is by the way, this may be something to discuss before we go, um, because a lot of times people will perceive libertarianism as being pro big corporation. That oh, yeah, well, if the libertarians yeah. are in charge. The big corporations will just take over. Big mm. corporations are a client of the state. We have a corporatist system, and and it's important to recognize that corporatism was is a term that was uh, that was coined by Benito Mussolini to describe the economic policies of fascism, the mm. idea of the merging of corporate entities with the state. Now, his idea was that it would, you know, the corporations and the state working together would just bring utopia to the land. Well, we <laughs> now have several decades of what that actually is. Mm -hmm. What it is is a system whereby very powerful, wealthy people can use a government system to run up endless debt in our names to, to give to them and use the, the power, the enforcement power of the state to enforce their will against us. Now, what libertarians believe is that the problem isn't greedy people. They're always greedy people. Everyone has rational self-interest. The problem is the incentive. Mm -hmm. Having a system whereby you can just step up to a trough and get endless amounts of money and endless amounts of power, and all you have to do is make the right friends in the right powerful places, it creates an incentive for that to be the way for powerful people to become wealthier and more powerful. If you strip that away from them, that you don't have these mega corporations. What you have is endless competition because now the only way for them to become wealthy and powerful is to best serve us, the consumer. That's mm -hmm. how they get rich now is by bringing us the stuff we need better than anyone else does. It's mm -hmm. not a perfect, there is no perfect system, but right. that system, the, the people that want to be greedy and wealthy and the richest people on earth, now every day they wake up thinking, how can I best provide this service to the people so that I can make the most money? It's not because mm -hmm. they're suddenly angels. It's because now the incentive is on how can I serve the people? Right now, the incentive is on how can I get my favorite politician into office and put the screws to him to make sure that I get what I want out of it? That's <laughs> the problem. But the problem with corporatism, it's less about the greed and it's more about the mechanism of the state power to be able to 
invert the the percent the the um, incentive for how you make money. Um, so I, I say that the, the the free market ideas of libertarianism are that we basically use that greed for our benefit. Oh, you're greedy. You want to be a billionaire? Great, mm. make us all happy. So and that's and it and if you don't, we'll make someone else a billionaire, and, and you'll just have to be a millionaire because well, someone else will make us even happier. I've 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 sort of accepted the fact, even though I mean I guess I would identify as someone sort of threatened me, I would identify as an anti-capitalist, but at the same time, okay. I'm not silly that, like, I know that capitalism is not going anywhere at all. Like, I know that for a fact. It's not. Um, it's just a way to, like, what can we get done, you know? And my whole thing is, like, what can we get done now? And mm -hmm. um, it sounds like there are lots of things that can be just done right now with the stroke yep. of a pen. I don't know how you feel about um, student loan debt. I don't know your views on that. Personally, um, I think that that's a for-profit scam personally, like the way public education has been um, sort of just hijacked. And it seems like tuition is just going up higher and higher. I mean, I owe 140000 just in student debt. I just got my PhD and it's just, I'm saying to myself, it really takes a psychological toll on you knowing that you went, okay, I went to I public school K through 12 without paying anything. I went to college, you know, luckily my parents provided my first two degrees, but I was on my own after that. And I'm just like, wow, is this, was this worth it? This 150,000 in the hole? Yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. do I get any credit for being an educator? It's just absolutely right. doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So here are uh, the long story short on edu on higher education is they basically did to higher ed what they did to healthcare. They removed all of the price equilibriums by making it so that the government was the one paying for it. And so now you have situations, Harvard is sitting on something like an $80 billion trust. Like that's that bigger than most, they have more money in the bank than the US it's government does. <laughs> like it's a, it's not, well, it's not just a business. It's, it's the most, one of the most powerful businesses. It, it's certainly more money than most governments have. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's, it's, and here's why. If I let's say I'm the dean or or the person making decisions on on costs and tuitions at a at a university, but let's say I can't just go to the government and have them pay for everyone's tuition, I got to go to you, which means I can only get what you can afford. But then mm -hmm. if suddenly the government in the 1970s, which by the way, all of the main things that I'm talking about happened after Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. And the reason why is because up until then, the government couldn't just print out five trillion notes and hand them off. Once they did that, now suddenly they could do everything. They could just spend money on everything. Mm -hmm. And this is actually an idea of modern monetary theory is, well, actually, okay, we, can MMT. Spend, we, can just, we can just spend money on everything. And at some point, we'll tax people. Well, putting aside the fact that you never actually raise the taxes enough because it's not popular, it also, that's not how it plays out. What it plays out is they end up just constantly, you know, uh, trying to, to catch the falling knife because they're just constantly throwing more money into the economy. So here, here's how this plays out with mm -hmm. higher education. In the 1970s, they started introducing the Pell Grants and, uh, and the, the, the uh, interest-free loans and all of this. And the idea was that, well, this will help people that need college tuition. Well, very quickly, what happened, this is going to sound very similar to our talk about healthcare. Suddenly, the government became the main person that was paying for tuition. So now mm. colleges, colleges weren't worried about what you as the student could afford. They now were worried about what the government could afford.
See, if, if wow. I'm worried about what you as the student can afford, I want as many students paying what they're able to pay because that maximizes my the money I'm getting from my school, whether it's a nonprofit, for-profit, whatever, it doesn't matter. I need money. Schools need, you know, any organization needs money. And so, uh, so now what happens is, well, yeah, I can keep, and, and again, you can see in the charts, when they started introducing Pell Grants and interest-free loans, all of a sudden the uh, rates went through the roof. Mm. But one thing that was controlling it was that you had private, privately underwritten loan companies that wouldn't give out loans because they'd look and they'd go, your loan's going to be way more than you could, you're going to be able, we can expect you're going to make in, in, in salary. You're never going to mm -hmm. be able to pay this back. We're not going to give the loan. That controlled somewhat. It helped keep the uh, the college uh, tuition somewhat under control. But then the government steps in and says, well, this isn't fair. You're not giving out loans to students who need it. So then with, uh, with a bill before Obamacare and then with the uh, reconcil uh, the reconciliation in Obamacare, then we had where the government all but nationalized the uh, college loan system. So now mm. we're giving out loans to everyone. Everybody. There is no underwriting. And that is when the, uh, that's when the tuitions got as dumb as they are now. And when now we have this like $2 trillion, whatever, $2 trillion student debt loan, student debt bubble, um, which will never be paid back. And I, I need to- No, it's not. People. It's not functionally- it's not economically possible to pay it back because they have intentionally driven up the cost of tuition to be well above what anyone could reasonably expect to be able to make and pay back in that given profession for all but a handful of professions. And it's actually getting so high now that even doctors aren't expecting to be able to pay it back, which is now causing a healthcare crisis because people aren't becoming doctors anymore. We're mm -hmm. now having a doctor and nursing shortage. This is as a direct result of the government trying to help by getting involved mm. and making economically illiterate decisions, which I frankly think they knew what was going to happen, but let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they thought they were doing the right thing. We now have the benefit of decades to show us that when the government tries to help, really what they do is they skew the incentives, they remove price equilibriums, and they drive the cost up through the roof and make it where all of the problems that we're facing now. So the question becomes, okay, great, we can get rid of that stuff and we can drive down the cost. But what about people that already have this kind of debt? Number one, and you, you may already know this, but a, a lot of people have discovered this. It is almost impossible to be able to get your debt discharged in uh, in bankruptcy court. You can literally mm -hmm. go bankrupt. And the, 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 uh, the, the court system has created, uh, and it's through the courts. This isn't even legislation. This is the courts that made this decision. Uh, and it's a tarot. It's, it's up there with qualified immunity. It oh, is, uh, wow. Uh, it, yeah. it is that they basically, and I forget the wording that they use, but basically the the uh, threshold for your ability to pay is so high when it comes specifically to student loan debt. You can literally file bankruptcy, have every other debt discharged, and they won't even reduce your student loan debt. Like that's how that's how bad that is. So I think the first thing we need to allow is if someone is it, 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 at the very least needs to be discharged. Uh, in the uh, it be able to be discharged at the same level as any other consumer debt, because that's what it is. It is an unsecured consumer debt. It should have always been treated that way in the court system. That would deal with a major bulk of that. Uh, mm -hmm. I also think that we need to have a much easier system of discharging student debt for people who ended up uh, not completing or dropping out because you have a lot of people. I think it's something like 30 or 40 percent of students Easily. who dropped out in the first like year or two. So they got, and again, you think, you think about 17, 18 year old kids that are signing up for, for mortgage, the equivalent of a mortgage. 
They couldn't even get a mortgage. They couldn't even get a car loan. They couldn't even drink. They, they, like, <laughs> uh, you think of all the things they're not allowed to do because it's recognized that they don't quite have the maturity yet uh, uh, to that. I would argue some of those things they should be allowed to do. But if they're not allowed to drink, maybe don't let them sign a quarter million dollar note on yeah. an, an unsecured note on something, right? So uh, I so that's something that needs to be looked at. So there are a lot of things that can be done to deal with it. Uh, I also would not be opposed to having, uh, and it would have to be on on a case by case basis, but especially in the situations of students that have been that have dropped out, um, that uh, to have to have that either uh, either forgiven or just discharged in the in the bankruptcy system. Here's why I'm not a fan of the um, of of just full student loan forgiveness. There are a lot of people who can pay off their loans. And it mm -hmm. may not be the easiest thing on earth, but they can pay it off. And then there are other people who didn't go to college and they're just you know blue collar workers making a living who will essentially have to pay off the college debts of people who can't afford to pay it. And that, mm -hmm. that's, that's my problem with, with that, is that it creates new victims uh, in, in trying to deal with these victims. Right. It creates new victims that weren't involved. So I'm not in favor of a, a full... Uh, uh, forgiveness. What I'm in favor of is, first of all, fixing the problems uh, so that you, and, and another big thing is getting rid of so much of this occupational licensing that requires you to go to school to do stuff like braiding hair and, <laughs> yeah. and hair and stuff like that. That's mm -hmm. a big part of it too. But um, but with the existing student loan, I think one of the biggest and most powerful things that we could do is just allow it to be discharged, just discharged more easily in the court system. And really as easily as it's being discharged other types of 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 of, uh, of loan debt, predatory loan debt. I think we also should be looking at some of the practices, and there there may be some situations where some companies just have to forgive it on their own because it was predatory how they even did it in the first place. I think that would alleviate a lot of that. And again, moving forward, put the price equilibrium back in the actual pricing of higher education. I think would be a, a great way to fix it. Yes, I know. Spike, I tell you, I hate to cut this short. We have to go. Um, like within the next few minutes, but I love this, this whole forum as far as like bringing the platform in so people can kind of hear the ideas from the person. I think we have too much of this, um, too many assumptions about, um, I don't want people to be mis, you know, represented. I like people to have their own views and, you know, coming onto the show and I learned so much that way. Like everyone can learn that way. Sometimes it's just right. best to sit back and listen to things, jot down notes. You've made me sort of, um, I've had to wrestle with this idea of what is government for so long now. I think <laughs> like what exactly is it, you know? Yeah, and that's yeah, why I yeah, asked yeah, you that yeah. question because it does make me think, I mean, it does. It, it, it makes me think more and more and more about that, but it may be a good thing down the road because it may be a better way to sort of connect to, you know, different um, groups, you know, to sort of accomplish similar goals. I think we could definitely do a lot together, like those sort of mentalities. Absolutely. Um, and hopefully people can take that approach going forward. How can people reach out to you if they wanted to message you directly? Yeah, I know you probably have a high social media presence. Sure, absolutely. First of all, I agree with you 100%. I think these kinds of discussions are absolutely crucial because the ruling class would love nothing more and my dog apparently would also do more <laughs> than for us to make assumptions about each other, 
operate on those assumptions and just not associate with each other or argue with each other instead of saying, hey, why don't we take a second and see if there's anything we agree on and mm -hmm. then move out from there. And you know what? Maybe we find out we don't agree. Maybe we find out we do. Whatever we find out, at least we're operating in a more peaceful way. And, and when I say peaceful, I mean we're actually building a discord discourse that's built on trying to serve us as best as possible as opposed to really servicing the the, the ruling class for so sure I think it's really important to have these kinds of discussions and i and i, I really I, i'm happy to have the opportunity thank you for tolerating this absolute no no as i've been he uh he usually is, is with my <laughs> wife but he uh he's having a moment but um yeah so my social media uh if you look for me uh on all social media i'm spike cohen you can find me on facebook youtube twitter instagram uh i'm on tiktok for the kids um, and, uh, uh, if you want to get a part, be a part of, you are the power of the organization we were talking about, uh, membership is free. We would love to have, uh, everyone, you, including Kiko, everyone be a part of it. If you go to, you are the power.net, you can find out more about what we're doing. You can sign up. You can get, as soon as you sign up, we get you onboarded right away to become a part of the grassroots army for human liberty. That's fighting across the country. Uh, we're liberating communities one at a time, uh, actually multiples at a time across the country, one issue at a time. And we invite you to join us. You are the power.net. And again, I thank you, Kiko. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And this uh, Kiko's Free Thinker Swarm is really kicking off. Um, I'm kind of surprised by the reaction and just um, the cordiality of the guest and just like the generousness of everybody. And hopefully for season two, we can have you back on. I'd be great. I look forward to it, man. Thank you so much. Well, you have a great day and goodbye, beautiful people.